Hey everyone, welcome to the new Bucks, Bows, and Bulls podcast. I'm your host, Rod White, Olympic archery gold medalist from the 96 Games, bronze medalist in 2000. Uh, made most of my living as a professional bow hunter, or a large portion of it, and also guiding and outfitting in several different states for several different, ty- different, different types of game. But a lot of you know me from Deer Society primarily if you guys are following me for whitetail purposes, which is cool because that's the time of year that we're in right now. And uh, some of you may remember me doing a podcast a couple years ago called The 30 Days of Rut. It was hugely successful with the National Field Archery Association while I was a bow hunting coordinator there. And I literally walked through every single day things that you should be expecting in the next day or two to come, things that should be happening on that current day, whatever the topic was. And I had a few guests here and there, and I've just gotten hammered so much with people asking for that again. Um... I decided it's time to kick out another podcast, and I, I kind of like getting back into it anyways. Um, lots of things obviously happening right now in the uh, whitetail world, but before we get into that, I just want to thank uh, some of my partners, and these aren't really necessarily sponsors of the podcast, but they're just good companies that have great products that I work with, and they've supported me for a long time, and so I just want to give a shout out to B3 Archery, Victory Archery, Gas Bowstrings, and Kafaro International. They're, uh, they've all been great to work with. I've worked with some of these companies closely on some products um, and am working with uh, at least a couple of those companies on some new stuff coming out next year I think you guys will all be pretty excited about. So anyways, welcome to the show. Um, we're going to get just dive right into really this podcast is all about uh, tips and tactics on how to get close to and score on big bucks and Depending on the time of year, uh, bull elk um, on over-the-counter units, that's something I, I'm really passionate about and I've uh, gotten pretty effective at. And uh, pretty much everything archery and bow hunting related. Um, some of these will be self-hosted, uh, some of these will have some guests, uh, but all of them will contain valuable information that will help you in the field to become a better bow hunter um, and a better overall archer with your hunting setup. And we, we'll probably get into some target stuff from time to time too, but... We are uh, sitting here, it's October 20th, and I realize this may take a few days to kick out because since I'm starting a new podcast here, it takes a little while sometimes for it to filter through all the podcasting world and kick out to the various places, and then it should become pretty instantaneous. I'm not going to do every one like I did before on the 30 Days of Rut, uh, mostly because, man, I get to the end of the day sometimes and I'm just tired, which I know sounds crazy. Some of you that that may not be big bow hunters uh, from a tree stand perspective can understand. Western hunters certainly understand. You can be pretty whooped at the end of the day, but believe it or not, sitting in a, a cold tree stand, especially on a windy day, can uh, it can kind of wreck you. And I love doing that 30-day podcast, but my gosh, kind of wore me down sometimes and I didn't feel like doing them and I had to force myself to. So this is a, a fun environment. It's going to be a fun podcast. And uh, I'm going to keep it that way by not uh, promising you that I'm going to kick out one every day because it certainly won't be every day, but I'll update as much as possible, especially when things are really relevant. So uh, for those of you also, too, that are listening for the first time to any of my stuff, you should be aware if you are in the southeast or out west in Montana, Idaho, or if you're up in the northeast, all these things that I talk about, I'm going to relate them to the time frame that I'm in here in the Midwest, which right now, again, is October 20th. Um, so if you are up north, some of the things that you're going to see happen um, will probably happen at about the same time, maybe even earlier uh, than what they will if you're from down south. And that yes, I recognize there are hot spots in certain places that have very, I shouldn't say hot spots, but zones that have very strange um, lengths of periods of rut at activity at times. In some cases, some of you will see rut activity for a month or more. But in most of the cases, I think this applies to most people. Um, and really, especially out west and out east and in the Midwest and up north into the Canada area, 
uh, most of this information applies to you guys um, pretty timely. Um, like I say, maybe if you're north of Iowa, we'll just say it this way. If you're north of Iowa, you can expect some of these things to be happening uh, maybe just the skosh earlier. And if you're down south, it could be dramatically later. So you're going to have to kind of watch and, and listen to things I say. I guess take all of them um, and adapt them to the areas you're in and, and how to apply to the rut. So um, right here, right now, uh, I just want to kind of quickly talk to you about what I'm doing in my hunting season too to give you a little bit of perspective. But I can come at it from a different, couple different angles. As many of you know, I used to manage uh, at one point over 10,000 acres in five or six different states. And um, managing those private farms, I got really, really good at nailing specific deer behavior. And when I say specific deer, I mean specific, specific um, targeted bucks that we wanted to be taken with my clients or myself on some of these farms. And that style of hunting is super cool. I'm going to talk about both sides of that and the public style of hunting or the run and gun style of hunting, which is what I'm doing right now. So I'll try to reference those as much as possible. If anybody has any questions, leave them in some comments wherever this is posted at. Um, the best way to shoot me some questions really is through Instagram at Olympic Bowhunter, or you can shoot me some through some questions on my Facebook page. It's uh, Rod White is the name of that page. But if you shoot me, uh, eventually I'll have a podcast page at some point. But right now, if you shoot me a DM on Instagram, I'll do my best to get back to you. But please realize that I get literally dozens and dozens of questions every day. And some of them I can answer and some of them can't. When I'm kind of slow in the tree stand, that's when I respond to a lot of things. But for right now, I want to talk about... Um, more of, of which applies to the majority of you probably ground that you're hunting that you don't have control over, or there's other pressure that's there uh, that may not be present. If you had a private property, if you have a private property right now, you should just be sitting low. Quite honestly, in my opinion, in my experience, this middle uh, to late October window until we hit about the 25th is very, very difficult uh, to get an arrow into a big deer unless you have some incredible information, a lot of daylight pictures of a target buck. Um, it's just very, very difficult. We had a great opportunity here earlier in the year and throughout the month of October, actually, we usually have several windows. It seems like we had three or four uh, this year. Last year, it seemed like we had three or four. Year before, I think we hadn't really have hardly have any with what I call October kill windows. And those are the time of month in which um, well, specific days or, or uh, yeah, it would be daily, not daily events, but specific days in which there's a major wind change where um, you have a southerly wind specifically that turns into a northerly wind quickly with a front that comes through. And those can kill windows, in, in my experience, I've killed an incredible amount of deer with both myself and my clients of all age structures. When those wind switches occur on private ground and you know where deer are more than likely to be bedding at, those wind switches, if they happen somewhere any time after 3 and 4 o'clock on at about 5 o'clock early in the season, and, and obviously these times get a little earlier as, as we progress as light, um, it, it gets dark earlier. But when that wind switch occurs, a lot of those bucks who are uncomfortable suddenly with their position that they're laying in because a lot of us older, uh, more more I would say more veteran hunters realize that the majority, vast, vast, vast majority of mature bucks will will lay under certain conditions, and that is with the wind at their back. They can see out in front of them, and uh, they have a little bit of structure behind them. That is also very, 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 very consistent unless uh, those deer are highly pressured or we're looking at a rut situation in which bucks are running does pretty hard because they let their defenses down a lot, as many of you know. 
So if you if you have a situation where you know where a buck's bedded at during this time of year in October and there is a quick wind switch from the south to the north later in the afternoon, those bucks will get up and move to another place to reposition themselves. Mule deer hunters out west have seen this a lot, I'm sure. Uh, it's kind of where I started noticing it quite a bit when I was younger. Um, and they will switch to somewhere where they have a favorable position, either bed down again or they'll stay on their feet but not head out into their food destination if that all happens within a couple hours of it getting dark. It just simply they don't feel secure enough to go out into uh, darkness. And I, I don't even know that that's a pressure thing. It's just a behavioral thing as much as it's anything else. But speaking to you guys on private land specifically, unless you have that situation occur, in my opinion, you're way better off, and you have a lot of daylight pictures of a deer, you're way better off to leave those deer alone until we hit about the 25th. Um, where a lot of different things start coming into play, and we'll, we'll hit those whenever we get there. But a lot of it uh, has to do with the bucks' um, temperaments at that time period, and they start letting some of their defenses down. They become extremely callable. There's a lot of things that we'll get into as those time periods kind of progress. So those of you who are running public land like I am uh, right now, I'm, I'm in the state of Iowa, and I am hunting public land. Uh, I don't have a lot of private parcels that, I'm, uh, or that I have access to, and right now I don't feel like I have anything anywhere that um, is really kind of worthwhile me hunting. Um, and some other things have kind of changed for me a little bit over the years. I, I used to really get into targeting specific bucks and killing them. And um, at the risk of, I, I seriously do not mean to sound like this at all, but I do not want to sound arrogant when I, when I say this, but it's, it was just a fact for me. If I had a deer that I wanted to kill and I had private property and I had access to them and I had the, uh, I had the accessories needed to do that to get the information I need to scout those deer. I could kill them extremely easily, um, especially the older they got. And that game um, was super, super fun learning that process and understanding it. it certainly helps me here on public land situations. But at the same time, it, it kind of got a little bit boring. Um, and, and where it got really frustrating towards the last couple of years I was managing a lot of properties was uh, it, it almost um, – for lack of a better word, I guess, it, it just got boring. Um, I, I knew what was on those properties by the first week of November. Generally, I had seen every deer that I had on camera, and I felt like I was sitting there hoping for a deer to come in from another area that was uh, a traveling-type deer, a, a transient-type buck that was just searching for does um, for whatever reason, got kicked off another property uh, by other bucks or through hunting pressure and would suddenly show up and appear and, uh, man, that was really, really frustrating, especially knowing you've seen all of your target bucks and uh, had them all under 20 yards, could have killed them all, but just didn't have anything to hunt. The neat thing about hunting public land that, that's really um, exciting to me is I have access to so many pieces across the state of Iowa. And I am literally right now traveling everywhere from southwest Iowa to northeast Iowa, a lot in southeast Iowa. Um, what mostly dictates where I'm hunting, quite frankly, is whether I have somebody to hang with um, where I can stay at their place for a few days. And I'm uh, doing a lot of scouting right now on properties that are very appealing to me. And there's a lot of different types for a lot of different reasons. But I'm specifically looking for uh, trees or locations. I shouldn't say trees specifically, but locations in which I want to hunt. Um, and I'm going through those areas using my Onyx maps. Um, I'm looking at base map software too, quite frankly, but because I like the aerial imagery on it a little bit better. It seems to be better, at least out west. Um, and I'm basically going through looking for uh, areas that I'm certain that mature bucks will tend to congregate at uh, at certain times uh, during phases of the ruts or find safety and security cover. And, um, of course, food sources play a little bit of a role into that, but not a lot for what I'm doing. 
So um, for me specifically, I'm covering a lot of ground, um, both out of the in the truck and and boots on the ground, looking for those spots. I'm marking them on my Onyx maps. I'm noting my wind directions where those are going to be probably more likely to be favorable for me um, in my notes uh, in those stand locations, and that's how I know. Um, when I find areas specifically I want to hunt, I know I have those locations um, ready to go whenever I'm, I'm ready to hunt. I'll also use those from year to year. Basically, I feel like, um, in my experience, when I find specific properties that I walk, th- there are classic um, stand locations, and I think some of you would agree with this, no matter what type of land you're hunting. There are always these trees that seem to always be super uh, productive. And that's what I'm marking in most of my locations. I'm noting some food source changes as well um, from year to year. That'll help me kind of get a handle on things if I want to come back to a public piece of ground uh, the following year, even if it's private. If you have a bunch of private pieces you're hunting all over the state, um, whether you lease ground or you own ground, same type of deal. You're going to have these go-to stand locations that are going to kill pretty much mostly every deer on a property, in my experience. There are some deer that are very unique that um, take some special – uh, tactics to try to kill and we'll try to hit those throughout the season as well but right now that's what I'm doing I feel like that's what you should be doing covering a lot of ground moving to a lot of different uh, areas if you're a, a public land bow hunter or again if you have a lot of access to private ground the next thing I'm going to do with that information uh, is I'll, I'll just create a quick spreadsheet and that spreadsheet will show me um, I'm going to classify those locations by wind directions all of those locations I um, I realize not everybody might be really good at this but for me my head works really good when when I look at those icons on my map and I look at my notes, I can picture in my head exactly what that place looks like. And I'll organize those based on wind directions um, and approaches of how I want to get into there. And then I'll, by, by the end of, of this week, coming into the 24th, 25th, I'm going to have probably in excess of 30 or, or 40, maybe 50 different locations even uh, that are are going to be on that spreadsheet for different wind types. And I can make the decisions on what areas I want to hunt based on those winds. Because uh, as a mobile hunter, hunting a lot out of the truck, um, staying in a lot of different people's places, I just don't have a real home base to where I can store my gear scent free is what I've been able to in the past. And because of that, um, I really have to watch my wind directions a lot. As a little bit of known on wind directions, um, as a general statement right now, I really hope that I can get across to a lot of you that are out there listening, it's very easy to look at a map and think, okay, I've got a northwest wind, so I can hunt these stand locations. That may or may not be true. More than likely, it's probably not as true as you think it is. So when you're at these locations and you find your place, if, if you have a northwest wind, basically by looking at your, your weather app, whatever that is, and it's, it's telling you there's a northwest wind, you may be feeling a south wind where you're at. Or you may be feeling an east wind based on topography of the land, um, based on timing of the day of thermals. So I'll note that in there um, because it, it's way more often than not an, a, a specific wind direction um, as forecasted and as prevalent prevailing winds is not going to give you exactly what you have in the locations you're hunting. Particularly if you're like me, you hunt a, lot of, hunt a lot of lower elevations within ditches and drainages. It's been my experience that most really mature bucks, uh, they don't tend to hunt uh, or hunt. They don't tend to travel a lot on real high ridges. They're about, uh, I would say, probably three-quarters of the way up ridges or mountainsides where they're moving across, depending on what areas of the country you're hunting in, um, and depending on weather somewhat, obviously, too. But it seems like they tend to keep that elevation when they're traveling a lot. And so for for me, I, I'm generally over the lip of a ridge somewhere, unless, unless 
I can be on top of that ridge and know that my wind is clean going back over a river bluff where I know no deer are coming in underneath me because if you're hunting a, a ridge, for example, and you've got a – if you're hunting an east-west west ridge and you've got a wind coming from the north, that means the deer that are on the south of you, if you have any kind of elevation at all, are probably going to wind you out to, to quite a bit of distance because the wind, although you'll be standing in your stand, you'll feel it go across the ridge top and blow straight across, but that wind is actually usually swirling down around, especially when the wind gets um, – stiffer and stiffer as it goes it will blow your scent down around below you and come back up and really the only way to know that is is through experience by using um a wind checker of sorts i don't really like the puff for things as much if you can get a hold of some milkweed a lot of you have that in environments you hunt on um, that type of thing a little wind direction thing or a synthetic wind director like that that you can pull out of a out of a little pouch, I know there's some companies out there that make them. Um, I just use milkweed, so I can't really point you to the source, but you just pull it out and you just watch it float. Um, especially that first time I hunt a stand, I can see what's happening in that wind current if there's anything funky happening with specific wind directions. Again, those are all noted um, in my icon notes whenever I'm considering places I'm going to hunt, and it's in my spreadsheet too. So um, I know it sounds crazy to keep a spreadsheet, all that stuff. It seems like it's easy to, to, to keep things in your head, but honestly – um, I, I guess when you're hunting like this, you're running so many different areas and so many different properties that you just, um, it's hard to keep them all straight. So that little spreadsheet reminds me and helps me make some decisions, uh, early in the morning, whenever I'm waking up and, and getting ready to head out the door, drinking some coffee and getting my stuff together for the day. So that's, that's pretty much what, what I'm trying to focus on right now is finding those locations. If you are going to be hunting, um, some of you, I, I realize not everybody has the kind of time I have by any means. Um, so certainly understand that. And that's probably, especially for those of you on private ground, more so need to make sure you're hunting at the right appropriate times with the best information that you have possible. And um, for me, like I say, hunting public ground, hunting all over the place, I've got a lot more luxury to do that. So I may be scouting most of the day. Uh, this time of the year, if I am hunting, I'm just hunting evenings. Rarely will I hunt a morning um, unless I... I specifically jump a buck in the next three or four days that's something i i definitely want to shoot um that is uh, a scenario for me like again for the next four or five days up until about october 25th where i would um, set up in that buck's bedroom and be there in the morning because um, it's highly likely that those bucks when you bump them are not really going to go anywhere um, they probably are going to be in locations where they have everything they need which right now primarily is acorns especially if you have some maple leaves that are yellow and orange right now or turning that color. There's still a few of those out there. That stuff is like crack to those deer. Um, and I, I really believe that's why a lot of us um, who've spent a lot of time in the hunting over field edges haven't, haven't seen, don't traditionally see deer during the middle two weeks of October during the quote-unquote lull. It's because those deer just don't have to go anywhere. They're eating acorns, they're eating maple leaves. Um, and if they got a little water source beside them, they have everything they need. They're just not traveling big distances. Um, but they are, are still hitting some standing crops here and there, especially with the colder weather. It seems like uh, deer at this time of the year really tend to hit the standing cornfields a lot whenever uh, it, it is getting colder like that. I don't know if it's because they crave carbs or whatever the deal is, but they seem to hit those quite a bit. Standing beans as well. Um, if you're hunting over a cut bean field, I'll tell you, for whatever reason, in my experience, once a bean field gets picked, at this time of year, it just goes almost completely dead, except for nocturnal activity. Um, so I'm not hunting really any bean fields at all. Last night, I, I went to go head to one, uh, it, and it was just picked the day before. So I probably have a day or two of good hunting on there. There were some fresh scrapes around there. Kind of got railroaded by a little deer I call Spike that, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, 
just befriended me. And so I spent all night playing with a, a spike deer, a, in theory, a wild deer. I mean, he didn't have any hole in his ear, ear tag. I don't know what it was. You can check it out on my Instagram or my Facebook page, but had a ton of fun and actually had to pull my buddy out of the tree stand because it was just, it was just the coolest thing I ever, ever experienced really in the wild on public land was a spike buck that just wanted to hang out and play. So, um, check out that story if you want, but sorry for getting sidetracked there. That'll happen a lot with us. Um, and then, um, what else do I got to cover on food sources? That's pretty much it. Uh, if you do have a buck daylighting on scrapes on the edge of a standing crop, by all field, by all crop field, by all means, I mean, go in there and take a whack at them. Uh, I just don't feel like if you have private ground, that's something you should really be attacking right now. If you're on public ground and those, those fields get picked like happened to me the other day, say, I think you've only got a short window of maybe two or three days to really capitalize on that picked field. Um, and as deer realize, I think that, uh, those fields have, have been picked the, the, the amount of traffic in those will lessen severely. So right now, again, I'm hunting evenings on, in some of those certain situations. Uh, typically a lot of years I talk about water, hunting water a lot. I'm, I'm not talking about that this year as much with the colder weather. Uh, it doesn't seem to be as big of a factor as what it is on, on hot years, obviously. Um, those deer just need water on a daily basis, but they do need water from somewhere. Um, so there probably is a water source in most, most cases, wherever you're, you're hunting at. I, I can't imagine, I know it was a little bit of a dry year, but I can't imagine you're going to find whitetails real far from water, um, at this time of year, but it's just not a source that I would, I would, I would hang and hunt over. So anyways, uh, what else I got to go over today? I think that's a about it um i'm gonna try to update you guys as much as possible like i said this has been about 20 minutes already and um i'll probably try to keep these relatively short unless i have a guest on and i'm sure i will some of the people i stay with buddies that i hunt with uh, maybe some industry folks here and there that like to share their information as well and give their two cents um just remember this whole whitetail thing hunting thing is not an exact science by any means <laughs> although it can be if you really have access to a large amount of private land all to yourself and you're able to control and manipulate your environment with a number of factors, <laughs> you can get it down to a pretty, pretty close science. And, um, yeah, so hope you guys are all having fun out there. Stay safe. Um, future podcasts, we're going to get into the type of equipment I'm using to hunt out of. Um, lots of things gear related, but mostly we're going to stay focused throughout the next month and a half or so on deer movement or the next month, at least on deer movement. I'll continue this, um, quite a bit until about, uh, th around Thanksgiving. Um, after that things kind of transition into a different time periods. A lot of gun seasons are going to kick in. Um, and I'll try to in interject that information to those of you that, that get frustrated with gun hunting states and when those seasons come in and out of there and how that'll affect your bow hunting, if you're allowed to bow hunt during then, and then, of course, what happens after the gun season. But for the most part, we get into the Christmas time area or, or post-Thanksgiving. You really start to, to look at times of the year in which, um, boy, it's all about the food. And so things are not quite as exciting then. But it's there's a lot of information we'll go over throughout the rest of the year for sure. And uh, hope you enjoy this. Hope you guys like this. Please share this wherever you can. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or whatever, give us a five-star rating. Give me a five-star rating if you can. And... Um, yeah, it's about it. So thanks a bunch. Um, appreciate everybody who sent me messages asking for this kind of information to be kicked back out again. And I'm going to do my best to keep you guys educated, informed, and hopefully um, a little more successful in the field, uh, regardless of what level of uh, what bow hunter, what level of bow hunter that you are, I suppose. Have a great day, and uh, we'll catch you later. See ya.